Welcome to another edition of the Membership World podcast. My name is Gordon Glenister and I'm the founder of Membership World. This edition is sponsored by our friends at RD Mobile, the complete membership events engagement platform. Now, in this series, I'll be interviewing CEOs from the membership sector, and they'll be bringing insights and personal stories of their challenges and success stories, with hopefully loads of takeaways. I'll also be talking to thought leaders and others able to support our community. But before we get started, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast just to make sure that you don't miss a future episode. So now in today's episode, I'm talking with the CEO of the Institute of Environmental Sciences, Adam Donan. The IES is an institute that really puts purpose at the core of what it's doing. And certainly the results speak for themselves with a considerable rise in membership. So I'm delighted to welcome Adam to tell us a little bit more about it. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks for having me on. Just perhaps for the purposes of our uh, listeners and viewers, tell us a little bit more about the IES. The IES is an organisation representing environmental scientists, um, both the discipline of environmental science and individuals who work within the field. We've got a strong representation within academia, consultancy, industry and public and civil bodies. By that, I mean the civil service, arms length bodies like Natural England and the Environment Agency and local governments. Drawing membership from all of those fields gives us the tools to implement system change by having a really strong purpose at the core of what we do and utilise those variety of levers in different sectors of society. You mentioned purpose, and obviously that's something I want to really dig deep in with you today. Why do you think associations and professional membership bodies should have purpose at the core of what they do? Uh, it's a good question. I think that the shared value of CEOs looking after membership bodies is we really want a number of things. We want to grow our memberships. We want to have an engaged and active membership. And we want to have staff that know what they're doing and why they are doing it and be motivated to do those things. And I think having purpose at the core of your institution or organisation can fulfil all of those different aims. Let me kind of dive into what I mean by that. So firstly, about growing your membership. I think you need to think that your members have two relationships with you as an organisation. They have a transactional relationship and they have an altruistic relationship. And by that, I mean the transactional relationship is one in which they are paying money to be a member of your organisation to get certain things out of that organisation. So they want to have knowledge, career development. They want to be able to access your services. And that's fine. And I think professional bodies need to make a good fist of making sure that all of their marketing material really explores that transactional relationship and what an individual can get out of their membership. But I also think that there's another level on top of that, of the altruistic relationship that an individual has with an organisation. I think that's really important within the membership sphere. And by altruistic, I mean about kind of giving back, about being concerned about the well-being of others and of the sector and of the discipline. And that relationship in many ways can be a lot deeper than the transactional relationship. And when one relationship fails, the other one can kind of come into play. And I think a good example of that might be the National Trust last year during coronavirus. And if its members solely had a transactional relationship with them as an organisation, 
you know, 2020 would have been a terrible year to be a member because, you know, you're not getting access to any of their properties. You're not able to visit because they were all shut down because of coronavirus. Yet, as far as I know, I don't think that they had queues and queues of their members complaining about that. And they didn't have endless resignations of people. And that's because they were able to fall back on that altruistic relationship that they have with their members, that people are members of the organisation because they want to support the organisation in looking after our national heritage. I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? I mean, I used to run a, a trade body for, for a number of years, and I, I knew that there were also members of that organisation that wanted somebody strong to represent us. And even through difficult times, just in the same way that you've mentioned the National Trust, they want their association, they want their professional body to do well. So I really hear what you say. That's that's really interesting. You also mentioned in a conversation that we had earlier about uh, we like to get our hands dirty. <laughs> so, you know, what do you mean by that? Going back to having purpose at the centre of the organisation, I think that that naturally deepens the engagement with your members because your members are there to help you fulfil your mission alongside that transactional relationship. So like many other organisations, we rely on a huge number of volunteers and our volunteers do writing for our magazine and our website. They do assessments of our qualification. They get involved in our various committees and writing technical papers. And when we think about why they volunteer for us as an organisation, yes, there's some transactional elements to that as well of boosting their own CVs and learning about whatever it is that the volunteering part is part of. So if it's writing an article, you know, it's about having authorship of an article. But beyond that, I think if you get your members aligned with that broader purpose of the organisation, that deepens the volunteering experience as well. So What we're always trying to do as managers of membership organisations is to get members up that engagement ladder and get them further and further involved with the organisation because you know that involved members are members that spend lots of money with you and attain their membership and give a lot back in terms of volunteering. And I think there's much to be said about aligning those volunteering opportunities and those engagement opportunities around those higher goals of what are we as an organisation trying to achieve. Just on that, I mean, I also would probably add to that advocacy as well. If people feel proud of their own organisation, they're more inclined to talk to other people, which in a sense can help boost attendance at events. It can help boost membership as well. Exactly, because that's the whole purpose of having a purpose at the heart of your organisation is having a good story about your organisation saying we're here to and in our case it's to unite people in science to solve environmental challenges and when you have that narrative arc that sits across the organization and you kind of draw the membership services that you do underneath that banner and when you write your annual report or you write a pitch for funders you know it's all within that kind of narrative arc then not only are you giving yourself a powerful story to tell about the organisation. You're also giving your members a powerful story to go out and tell colleagues about. And I think operating at that higher level of saying, well, actually, we're not just here to serve our members, we're here to create change in society and to benefit society and put the public good at the centre of what we do, then that is a powerful marketing message. I should say it isn't the reason that we do it. It isn't for marketing purposes. It's because it's genuinely something that we believe in. But it has this set of co-benefits for the organisation. And that's really important. That I mean, I've seen 
often in trade associations they'll have a mission and a value statement but they're only as good as them being lived and breathed throughout not just through the leadership at the top people like yourself but also right across your teams so they are embedded with that same goal um, uh, so that it has to come to life doesn't it otherwise it's just words it does and you find with a lot of organizations less so maybe in the membership field but certainly in the corporate world who pay lip service to having a purpose and it's something that they kind of have written after they've worked out their strategy and it isn't as authentic because it isn't as you say filtering down to the whole organization the way in which we do it within the institution of environmental sciences is we borrow a management system from google which is called okrs which stands for objectives and key results so each individual staff member co-authors quarterly targets and those quarterly targets and activities are based around objectives and the objectives are linked directly to something within the strategy and the strategy is linked directly to the purpose. So there's this kind of golden thread that goes down through the organization from you know, this is what we're trying to achieve in society to the everyday tasks that some of our staff members do so that they can see that they're not just working for the organization, but they're working on the organization's mission. I love that. Another analogy was something I talk a lot about was um, if somebody was on a production line and all they knew was just putting a bolt onto a wheel, then as far as they can see, all they knew was putting a bolt on a wheel. But if they knew that the output of that was a Bentley or a Rolls Royce and that car wouldn't go further without that bolt on that wheel, <laughs> it's the same sort of principle of knowing and understanding where they fit in in the, in the hierarchy. Yeah, that's a fantastic metaphor. This podcast is sponsored by RD Mobile, providing events and member engagement solutions used by organizations worldwide. RD Mobile can help your organization deliver value at your next virtual or in-person event and throughout the year. Visit us at rdmobile.com to learn more. How do we measure the impact of purpose? How do we know that it's working? Yeah, so it's difficult to know with any confidence that some of these things that we do around purpose definitely led to improved demographics for our organisation. And we do have a good demographic profile in that our average age, if you include our student members, is 34 and without it is 41. And I'm sure a lot of your CEO listeners would look quite enviably at that age profile. And of our uh, around 5,000 members, when we last looked in January, we had seven more members who identified as female than male. So you can't get much closer to a 50-50 split. And some of that is reflective of the sector that we're in. Environmental science only really emerged as a discipline in the late 1960s. And the explosion of jobs really happened in the 1990s. And the uh, field has expanded since then. So it's, it's naturally quite a young profession. So you have to disaggregate and, and remove that part. Um, but we do benchmark ourselves against other organizations in our sector. And we do have a younger and more diverse membership than all of the ones that we've benchmarked against. So how much that's down to purpose, I don't know. There is some evidence that women under certain conditions can have a more altruistic approach than men. And there is some kind of weak research, although it's often touted that millennials like purpose-driven organisations more and they're, they're more likely to join those. It's difficult to be confident about those causes, but I, I think the way in which we talk about ourselves as a purpose-driven organization, I think, makes for a powerful marketing message, as I said earlier. And it also leads you to kind of audit your activities and 
you know, taking assessments about whether activities that you're undertaking are fulfilling that societal purpose. And you may then throw certain activities that you are doing by the wayside. So, for example, you know, holding an expensive dinner in central London where you award medals to your most senior members may be something that you feel is valuable to your organisation, but it might not be particularly useful in attracting a broader demographic unless you really make a drive around what those awards are and who they're going to. So it does provide a system that purpose of saying, well, you know, let's audit our membership organisations and see if that aligns with that purpose as an organisation. If it doesn't, you know, you maybe have to slaughter some sacred cows and get rid of some things that maybe aren't working for the organisation anymore. That's very relevant. And also you mentioned millennials are having purpose driven absolutely 100%. And I because I work in the influencer space and I know exactly that that has a uh, that's had a profound impact, particularly over the last 12 months. So I think you make a really valid point. And it's even, we talk about millennials, of course, if we go down to Generation Z and now, is it called Alpha? Yes. <laughs> Generation yeah. Alpha as well. I think it's going to only be more so uh, that uh, or people want to know that what what they stand for, what they're doing with their employees, how they're supporting their members, knowing that they're being there for them. So that's really good. And and so as a CEO, I mean, during your time at the IES, what sort of lessons have you learned? What's it been like to lead an organisation like that? Yes, I've been at the organisation for quite a long time. I've just celebrated my 15-year anniversary with them. Previously here, I worked for a MP, and I'd actually initially been employed by the IES on a six-week internship to help sort out their policy side and I'm still here 15 years later and I'm, I'm not sure I've ever met anyone actually in the professional body learned society membership space who ever intended to work in this space it's a career often by accident rather than design but I would say it is a very rewarding career and people from my background a kind of policy background are quite often attracted to think tanks because they think that think tanks are particularly influential but for me think tanks have limited levers at their disposal you know they report and lobby and actually professional associations are far more interesting organizations because they have much more additional levers for societal change because you have a collection of thousands potentially tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who work in the sector that you're working with. So they become advocates for whatever change that you want, want to take place. I think that's kind of what entertained me and, and why I've stayed in the sector and working for the organisation for so long. I guess your question was about what have I learned along the way? And I think, you know, having a North Star, both the organisation and for what you personally are trying to achieve with that organisation is extremely important because being a CEO is tough, lonely, at times, you know, you're full of setbacks as the organisation meets and faces challenges. And I think it's good to have that concept of what the purpose is and what you're working in the sector for. The other thing I think I've learned is that systems change is incredibly difficult and it takes a long time. And Quite often in the moment, you can feel very frustrated that you're making no progress. And there's been times, you know, working in the environment field, as you can imagine, where things have felt very frustrating, where, you know, there's a change of government and you take a series of backward steps and nothing seems to be kind of operating with the urgency that you think that the scientific evidence suggests we should be moving with. 
but it's only really when you look back at the progress that you've made over a long period of time do you recognize how far you've come so i think you can only recognize your own achievements in the mirror really kind of looking back down the road what else have i learned i learned that you can't really do everything alone that if you're there focusing on systems change it's complicated so you need a lot of partners with that and you need to choose the right kind of partners and you need to make sure that you've done your homework on cultural alignment as well as project alignment so that you're both moving at a similar speed and then the other personal thing I think I've learned along the way is it's always a good idea for professionals who are working in this sphere to take on lots of non-executive roles. So I've got a number of non-executive roles working for other environmental organisations, for science organisations and with education. And those experiences have really helped me understand the system a lot more. And you can kind of get good examples from other organisations about how they structure their governance, how they work with staff, the relationship between board and staff members. And you can bring back best practice and also, you know, avoid what you see other organisations doing that isn't so successful. Mm, Fascinating. I mean, I guess to finish then, what sort of lasting advice would you give to somebody that is thinking about maybe putting purpose a lot more centrally within their organisation that hasn't at the moment? Yeah, so I think quite often in the membership body sector, I hear a slightly fatalistic approach towards kind of declining or aging membership. I often hear the line that young people don't want to join organisations or young people won't pay the membership fees associated with an organisation like ours. And I don't think that's true. And I think we should try and tackle that fatalism. You know, be critical of your own membership services and try and see if you can make a slightly more altruistic argument for joining your organisation. What you need to do when you're developing that purpose is to make sure that you're bringing your stakeholders along with you so that your trustees are on board, your members are on board and your staff are on board. And so that has to be a kind of slow and iterative process where you are consulting with them all the time, perhaps framing it in a way that recognises the need for change so that you can put that argument to one side. So it might be a declining membership or it might be your age or ethnicity demographics or your gender demographics. Once you've got that reason to change, then you're moving people into the space about talking about their aspirations for the organisation rather than clinging too strongly to what you currently do, to what you might be able to do to fulfil that purpose. And I'd summarise really that a purpose-driven organisation is a powerful organisation that grows its finances, that it opens itself up to getting funding, not just from its members, but also from funding bodies. And in my opinion, I think the really powerful membership organisations are going to be those ones that are able to access membership funding, they're able to access commercial funding, and they're able to access funding from grant-making bodies. And combine those three things will give you a competitive advantage, I guess, over other membership bodies that aren't able to access so many different streams of funding. Fascinating. I have to say, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you today. And what you've done so far is uh, is exemplary. Well, well done. And thank you for joining us on the Membership World podcast today, Adam. Thanks, Gordon. So that's it for another edition of the Membership World podcast. Please don't forget to follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram or Facebook. And if you want to ask any questions of me about particular issues, then do let me know. And once again, a reminder to hit subscribe. And if you feel like it, please do give us a nice review as it does make a huge difference. 
If you want to take part in any of the Membership World programs that I run or want to receive any particular great content, please register on the Membership World website. It's free to anyone running membership bodies or communities. You can also download the latest Social CEO report, which is on our site now. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor, RD Mobile, and my producer, Neil Whiteside from Freedom One. And until next time, from me, Gordon Glenister, it's bye for now.